Good to have you here today. I'm pretty excited about this sermon because it's the beginning of a series of messages we're going to go through, and I'm going to challenge you to be a part of it in a whole new way. But before we go, there's two things I wanted to tell you about. Number one, out in the foyer on that side, there's um, Christian Literature Crusade came out with their bookstore. I asked them to come and sell Bibles to you. I'll tell you, and we're not making any money off of this. This is not the point. The point is to get a Bible in your hands so you can use it. And if you don't have one, like a good study Bible, they can help you. I'll explain more of that at the end of the sermon. Secondly, two weeks from today, that same, you saw the advertisement for the Women's Conference, that same weekend, I'm saying this especially for the gals, gals, don't get too worn out because you've got to come back here Sunday. Sunday is going to be outstanding. A friend of mine, uh, Bob Russell, is going to be speaking here that weekend, and um, he used to be a pastor of a church for like 20,000 people in Louisville, Kentucky. He's retired now, so he can travel around and speak. You're going to love Bob. He's going to have you laughing. He's going to have you learning. And he's got a wealth of experience and a lot of stuff to share with you. And I want you to come back two weeks from today. So make sure you're here two weeks from today. Invite a friend. You're going to love Bob Russell. He's a good friend of mine. See, my brother used to go to church there. That's how I got connected with Bob. You're going to love this guy. He's a humble, godly leader. And God's used him in a multitude of people's lives. So I'd like to start a series today on the book of Ephesians. And I'll explain all this stuff. It's a visual aid thing I'll use in a minute. But I'd like to pray with you before we start. Could you bow with me in prayer? Lord, we come to you today. Many people here. I think of all those people that got baptized last week. Some of them are here. Some of us have been walking with you for years. Maybe someone here hasn't even started. Whatever the situation, we know that you can meet us right now where we're at. Whether they're facing a doctor's diagnosis or a difficult situation, a marital problem, a teen that's gone wild, an addictive problem, a situation, whatever it be, Lord, you're here. You promised in your word you would never leave us nor forsake us. Help us understand the truths presented in the book of Ephesians, Lord. And to be able to get a hold of it in our heart, in our mind. For many of the things that you present in this book have not become incorporated yet into our life. We admit that. We need that. You put the hunger in us. Thank God for the hunger that your spirit puts in our hearts. Help each person here now hear the word of the Lord and be able to respond to it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, I'm very excited about the book of Ephesians and I'll tell you why. You see, when I was like 19 years old, I'd just become a Christian, you know, when I was 18. And I was learning to study the Bible and read the Bible. And I, I, I thought, you know... Why don't I just do like some of these smaller books? Because these big ones are like a little intimidating. You know, like Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Ephesians. I thought, oh, this this would be my size because I'm just starting out. So I remember reading the book of Ephesians. And it was like starting to be summertime like this. And I'm going into college and I'm, i got to work a, a painting job. I'm painting houses with a friend of mine. We've got this little company going where, you know, college students painting houses and stuff. So it's going well, but... 
I decide to start getting up in the morning because when I start reading the book of Ephesians, it's so good. I'm like, you know what? I got to read this really slow and kind of soak it in. And I kid you not, for a young kid who had just become a believer, my life had been radically changed. And I thought, you know what I need? I need to learn this stuff. I need to soak it in. So I was, this is pretty radical, a 19-year-old kid getting up earlier than you have to. I was getting up earlier than I have to just to study the Bible a little bit in the morning. I was getting up like, you know, half hour early to read, to think. Even if I only took a couple verses, I just wanted to soak this in. For me, honest to God, it was like eating candy. It was like I couldn't wait. I could hardly wait because it was, my soul was so hungry for this. I was so, so much in need of what God was going to give me. And I discovered so many things already in my life that I, 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 that I'd seen God already transform. I thought, imagine what he could do if I could incorporate this. You know, in our world, there's a lot of serious concerns right now. And maybe you have some pretty serious concerns personally, but, you know, as as a human race, we see things like nuclear threats, nuclear powers, terrorist attacks, financial collapse, cancer-causing agents in our environment, disease from heart, you know, heart disease, insect disease, I I was... (laughs) Insect-borne diseases, man. They have so many things that will scare the snot out of you nowadays. They talk about alcohol and drug abuse. I was just reading a thing. 140 kids in Burlington County died last year from drug overdoses. Did you know that? Just in Burlington County, 100. We've got like an epidemic going on. Racism, prejudice, depression. Epidemic nowadays. Social media threats. It's a new thing. You know, back in their day, you can read about, I was reading about the history of the book of Ephesians, there's all kinds of things. They had threats in their day too, especially from the Roman government, all kinds of abuse, Christians being persecuted, all those things. And the apostle Paul would say, oh, that's, that's bad, but I have something. You, you have a lot badder problems and bigger problems than that. And he says about it in the book of Ephesians, the last chapter, he says it this way. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. In other words, he's saying there's an evil force, there's a mind, there's an instigator behind this trying to destroy you. It's not flesh and blood. It's not just people you're fighting. It's not just governments. It's not just a drug dealer. It's not just addictive problems. It's not just some insect that might give you something. (laughs) You got a lot worse, bigger, bad thing than that. you got an actual mind, a force behind this that's trying to kill you and destroy you and ruin your life. Whoa. The whole book of Ephesians is telling us there's a world out there, a spiritual world you need to connect with to be protected, to be guided, to be delivered, to be redeemed. God's trying to help us connect with that in the book of Ephesians and help us understand that. And this is the kind of stuff I was beginning to understand when I was only 19 years old. We're bombarded by these things, but God's right there. You know, I'm not sure that the human race has changed much since then. I'm not sure that that they were feeling any less attacked, any less abused, any less uh, helpless or afraid than we are. And so the Apostle Paul says, well, here's what you need. I have the answer for you. It's as though, you know, like, like we would, might think our, in our day, they were thinking in their day, isn't there something better? Isn't there more? Isn't there more to it than uh, like just knowing that Jesus is my Savior and that someday I'll go to heaven and be with him? How do I survive now? And it's as though in the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul screaming to the church, 
Yes, 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 there's a lot more you haven't got a hold of yet. And it's in two words, in Christ. You haven't gotten a hold of the central truth. Okay, so you got saved. Okay, so you got baptized. Okay, so you're going to Bible study. But don't you understand? It's getting this in your mind, getting this in your heart, living it out in your life that's going to change everything, change you, change the world when you understand what it means to be in Christ. And so this whole book, you can summarize it in two words, in Christ. Paul's trying to present to this church, in fact, there's a group of churches, that they needed to be in Christ and he's explaining it to them. So I thought what I'd use to illustrate it is this little visual aid. This is one of those little beta fish. You ever seen one of those? Here, he's in there. In fact, he is a male. They tell you when you're buying. This is my granddaughter's beta fish, and she's letting me borrow it. When all of us come to Christ, it's like we're here, but what we're feeling is these limitations. Um, sometimes helplessness because we're like this little beta we're locked in and, and we can feel the limits and the powerlessness and the lack of control and the fear we have because this is all we got well we're just like this little beta in a little container and he is really limited but it's as though the apostle Paul saying you don't have to be there no, you, you can be poured out into a whole new environment. And really, my strategy in this whole series of, of going through the book of Ephesians is trying to help you change your entire frame of reference. Because what's wrong is that many Christians are still limiting, living so limited, so human, not recognizing the principalities, the powers, the spiritual forces, both positive and negative, realizing that you can be in Christ. And Paul's saying, what i got to do is get you to pour it out into Christ. Sometimes he'll even agitate us and make it difficult because from stage to stage, I believe God moves us from one place and then he might shake you up again and, and move you around and you've got to be willing to pour out into something else. In fact, the Bible seems to present we go from one stage to another stage to another stage. In fact, it could go to a bigger bowl if I had more bowls and a bigger one till eventually it's what's heaven? Heaven's no more limits. Heaven's is you're in Christ. You're totally back to what God called you to be. His creature in total complete fellowship with God again. But to get there is going to take this process. And listen to me. Please listen to me. This is the most important part of the sermon. The reason you can't get here, the reason we don't often get here to a bigger, a bigger world, a bigger life than just our little caged-in area, and we feel so much the lack of peace, and, the, and we're so limited, and we're not experiencing the joy the Christians talk about, because we're not willing, we're so afraid to give our whole life to Christ. And I'm telling you, I don't know where you're at in your walk, but I can guarantee you this. He might even mess with you. He might even shake your bowl. Because he wants you to pour out into him. And the thing that holds every one of us back is our, our fear to give it all to Christ. And Paul sees that in the church and he's trying to help them understand. You've got to give it all to the Lord because that's where your life is now. You're in Christ. And so often we don't because you can see it. People are still living in a little life to God. Do you, you understand what's written in author the other day? He says, part of the biggest problem is we're all part of a bigger story, but all we look at is our little story. 
And we get all mad. We get all upset. It's not working out like I thought it would. Jesus really isn't there for me. He's really not helping me. Do you think maybe God has a bigger story than your little life? That your life is part of his story, but it's only part of his big story? Again, I, okay, Lord, what do you want? Okay, Lord, I give it all to you. You're the Lord. A lot of times, Jesus is, your, Jesus is our Savior, but is he really our Lord? And that's where Paul seems to be trying to go. I put it down in the sermon outline like this. I said, here's the key idea. The key thought, big idea of the sermon, the key thought of Ephesians is the gathering together of all things in Christ. That's where we're headed. That's what the scripture tells us. To a new life with new hopes, new loves, new dreams, new truth. And it's all found in Christ. The context is this. The Apostle Paul is in prison. The Roman government put him in prison, and he expects to be executed. And so he takes out a piece of parchment. I'll explain more of that later as we go on further in the series, what a parchment is. It's how they made paper then. So he's got the ink and pen, he's trying to write a letter to the churches here around Ephesus and Ephesians. Ephesus is a, a, a port town on the Mediterranean Sea. He figures, if I can reach them. So this church of people are there, and he writes them this letter. And a guy named Tychicus, who's mentioned at the end of the letter, who delivered the letter, may have even written some of it for him as he dictated it to him. Then they take it and they sew it up all the way around, the pieces to each other, and then Tychicus delivered it to him. People would break the seal and start reading it and understanding how God wants to change their life. And the same truths that they needed are the truths that you and me need today, that God wants to change your life, but he can't do it if you won't pour out into Christ. God's called you to be in Christ. This book starts out by talking about that call, and when you incorporate and embrace it, it's when it becomes so powerful and real. This book falls easily into two parts. That's why I'm going to sum up the whole book for you just in two points. The first point is this. Your new life calling is in Christ. And then second point, your, your new life style is in Christ. The first is your new life calling. Um, if you're feeling kind of trapped, stuck, even helpless, this book is for you. Maybe you feel that way in your marriage. Maybe you feel that way at work. Or in your own head, kind of stuck. Maybe even life seems kind of boring. I know why. You need another pouring. You need another emptying. And later in the book, he talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit. I remember the famous evangelist D.L. Moody used to say, you know, the reason we're not filled is because we're already full. Full of a bunch of stuff that doesn't need to be there. We need to pour into Christ. We were made now. We were called by Christ. Listen to me. You've heard the calling of Christ. And it's like Paul saying, come on. you got further to go. There's more that God has for you. Your sense and longing for more is true. You feel that way because that's what's real. You do need more. More of Christ. Jesus used to say, if anyone wants to come after me, he needs to deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. It's very much a pouring yourself out into him. Okay, let's look at this. Ready? Chapter 1. First point. Your new life is in Christ. Look at chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. To just give you a flavor. He's been talking about how we've been called all the way through this. And gets down to verse 18. I want you to look at how he says it. 
He says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Has that happened to you? Eyes of your heart kind of enlightened. You get new insights. You have new understanding. I'm amazed how many Christians could say, well, what's he talking about there? That you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. And your hope means your future. You see a whole different future now? You understand? And notice the word called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saint? You inherited something from the saints that's going to be rich, and you can see riches in it? This, this is this, the words he's using. I want you to pick up on. Look at first, the next verse, verse 19. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power? Immeasurable. It's beyond measurement of his greatness, of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great, great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Listen to me. Here's one of the major fundamental problems when we read the Bible. You read something like that, and you chalk it up, ah, that's just religious talk. No. Paul's not a religious person in that sense. He's trying to say, there's riches. You have immeasurable power. Do you sense this? Do you experience this in your life? Now, when I was 19, I'm reading this, I'm going, no, I don't. And I started realizing, it's because there's something wrong with me. Yeah, there is. I'm way down here. I got some pouring to do. I got some exchanging to do. I got some understanding. I got to understand what it means to be in Christ. I got to live this. I got to feel this. Listen to me. These are not just what they call positional truths, theological ideas that somehow you got to work your brain into. No, it's a reality you're supposed to experience. It's more than that. It's more than just, you know what it's like? It's like um, getting married. You know, you get married, and you have that marriage certificate. I've, I've filled out a whole bunch of them for people who do the wedding. What's always profound to me is that the, the, um, the bride and the groom never sign them. Just your friends sign them and stuff. But anyhow, you're married if you got one. So how do you now, you're legally married, how do you experience it? Pull that out every morning, read it, and go, whoa, I really am married. (laughs) Might help. But no, you need to live it. You need to experience it. In the morning, in the evening, in the middle of the day, middle of the night, whatever. It's an experience. Paul's saying the same thing here. And he says there's immeasurable power. There's this undescribable greatness. There's these things that could happen to you that you need to comprehend. And he's trying to explain to the Ephesian church and trying to explain to this church, you and me, there's a lot more to it. There's a lot more than your understanding. Are you open to this? Will you, will you look at what possibly could happen to you in Christ? Because this is how God's called you. He's called you to a whole new way. Whole new way of thinking, whole new way of living. I'm hoping to change your entire frame of reference today. So you no longer think of yourself like this, or even like this, but maybe even like this or more. That's what's so exciting about the book of Ephesians. It's like eating candy. Like I said, it's just like, oh man, I could have more? Yeah, you could have more. That's what he's saying here. It's very, very exciting. Um... We have a hard time sometimes getting our mind around this. Uh, uh, 
you sometimes wonder why it's so hard to get this to stick. Uh, it's almost like you got to go through some kind of mental gymnastics to make it work. And he explains that like he understands that's the question. Look at chapter 2. He says it this way. You know, you were dead in the trespasses and your sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. In other words, you were very limited. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But, big contrastive conjunctive, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ. Notice that. It's with Christ. He did it. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Immeasurable riches. Again, doesn't that kind of give you a hint? You don't have it yet? I'm not kidding you. When I'm 19 years old, I'm reading this thinking, immeasurable riches. Huh. I don't feel very rich. Well, he says, I got it. Why don't I feel it? Why don't I sense it? Why does, if it's immeasurable riches, I mean, who doesn't want to be immeasurably rich? Well, then what am I missing here? I hope you're asking that question. You're feeling that way like I was because there's more. That's what you're sensing. Oh, is there more to life? Yeah. That's why you feel this way. There is more. And it's in Christ. You just have to be willing to empty yourself into him. Don't be afraid to give him your whole life. Well, 11 times in the book of Ephesians chapter 1, he talks about this in Christ idea. So it's clearly the theme of the book. And um, then in chapter 3, I, I got to move quickly here because I got to summarize for you chapter 3. He starts out in the beginning of chapter 3 trying to help us. The reason, one of the reasons it's so hard is because it's a mystery. Look how he puts it. Chapter 3, verse 1. For this I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of, of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery, notice that word, he calls it a mystery. Mystery was made known to me by revelation. As I have written be- briefly, when you read this, you, will per- you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. Mystery, huh? Yeah, mystery means something we didn't know before, which was made no, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations. It has now been revealed to his holy pro- apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery, there it is again, is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. For this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all saints, 
This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches. There it is. Look how he talks about the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery. There it is again. Hidden for for ages in God who created all things. One of the reasons we have a difficulty is because it is a mystery. And he's saying, you know, we used to be in this other way. And it's so hard for us to understand that life is, listen to me, outside of us, not inside of us. Because our culture, especially ours, maybe more than it did back then, tells us what? No, life's about you. So identify who you are and promote who you are and be who you are because that's, that's where your life is found. Not, not pouring yourself out to Christ. Just the opposite. Keep yourself for who you are and who you're supposed to be, what you want to be, and all your dreams and all your hope. It's just the opposite. I have a book I've been reading recently. It's called Union with Christ by a guy named Rankin Wilborn. I don't know what his parents were thinking, naming him Rankin. <laughs> Anyhow, he's a younger guy. He's got little toddler kids, and he's a pastor out in L.A. wrote a great book. This is a, it sounds like an old classic, but it's a fantastic book. And he's talking about, like the book of Ephesians and other books in the Bible, about being in Christ. And he tells how hard it is in our day to think like this. Listen to what he says. To some extent, self-centeredness is innate in every human being. Our experience of the world is always filtered through our own perspective. So it's natural that our first frame of reference is, how will this affect me? However, while in some times and places in culture, uh, a culture will collectively urge people to subordinate their personal desires in favor of the family, in favor of a group, or in favor of the nation, it's fair to say our particular culture feeds and nourishes our self-centeredness, encouraging us to be enth- to enthrone ourselves as the sovereign over our own lives. You know, kind of a do-your-own-thing thing. What was once seen as the deadliest of all sins, pride, is now embraced. It's cherished. It's essential to human flourishing. Embrace yourself. Express yourself. Promote yourself is what we hear over and over again. Illustrations of self-centeredness in America abound today. But here's one of my favorites. Here's why I wanted to read this to you. Listen to this. In 2006, thousands of American college students filled out a survey. They weren't told what the survey was, but it actually was the Narcissistic Personality Inventory, the NPI. A psychological evaluation that asks for responses to statements such as, I am an extraordinary person. I'm more capable than other people. Everybody likes to hear my stories. And if I ruled the world, world, it would be a lot better place. The NPI has been given to college students for several decades. By looking at the change in responses over time, a a recent study shows that a 30% increase in narcissism over the past 30 years. You can kind of tell. Even more striking, listen to this. In the 1950s, 12%, only 12% of teens agreed with this statement. I'm an important person. 12% said, yeah, that's me. In the 1980s, which is quite a while ago now, just 30 years later, 80% of teens agreed with the statement that I'm an important person. 
By our own reckoning, we live in an increasingly self-centered world. Perhaps then, another reason it's difficult, if not impossible, for us to embrace union with Christ is because it displaces us from the center of our own lives, where we naturally love to be. It tells us that the most important part of our identity comes from outside ourselves, and that therefore our posture needs to be one of dependence and vulnerability and waiting and trusting. To an age that embraces self-promotion as fervently as, as our own does, union with Christ will come across not only as bizarre and strange, but even distasteful and offensive. Yeah, that's the dilemma you and I live in. What I'm suggesting to you here, what the Bible's suggesting to us in its words I'm reading to you today, is in direct opposition to what movies are telling you, songs are telling you, everybody else seems to be telling us. That life is found in you and your promotion and who you are and what you can have and what you can attain and what you've accomplished and your talents. And I'm saying, no, it's not. You've been called in Christ, and your whole life is now found in Christ. And I'm saying to you, why are you so afraid? Are you believing the world? No, give it up. The more you pour yourself in Christ, he says, the more you'll experience immeasurable riches, the more you start to be changed, and God starts to make you into Christ. He wants to do that. That's the final end until we get to glory, and there's no limits at all. Many of the limits, then, that are really on our life are imposed by us. So how do you do this? How does this get to, before we move to point two, how does this get to be a part of your life? Well, (laughs) who was he writing to? Church. And Paul's saying, don't you get it? This is what church is for. It's not a religious duty. It's not something you're just supposed to come and the kids go to Sunday school and you sing nice sweet songs and you go home and you make friends. No, it's about that word we've been studying all year. Develop. God's developing your mind, developing your heart. I mean, why why do we sing songs? Well, to praise the Lord, to thank the Lord, but it's God changing your mind. Those songs go into your cranium. They go into your heart. Sometimes you go to trials. Does this happen to you? An old hymn comes up or a song comes up now and then. It's, it's, that's a good thing. It's the development. It's the Holy Spirit working through a song, the lyrics of a song, the tune. Well, why, why do we preach sermons? Same thing. God's using it to develop you, to teach you, to train you, to get you to pour it into him again. And same thing with prayer. Why do we pray? It's the same thing. God's getting us to the place of this humility, this, this vulnerability, this dependence upon him. We're learning to live in Christ. And that's what church is supposed to do. It's a training process. It's a teaching process. It's a developing process that God's working into our life through all the songs and all the preaching and all the praying and all the giving. It's God. It's God at work. Is that happening in you? It should be. It could be. What's so fun is he gets into chapter 4 and 5 and 6, the last three chapters, and he starts saying, well, here's how it works out in your lifestyle. I put it down this way. Your new lifestyle in Christ. Look at chapter 4 with me. Verses 1 through 3. Let's just read that. He says, therefore... 
I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk, you know, it's your lifestyle, your walk. Now, I want you to live new lifestyle in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. You guys got to change your life because you've been called to something bigger than you're living in. With all humility and gentleness and with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, there is one body, and he goes on, one, one, one calling, da 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 He's trying to say, there's a new lifestyle for you, and it has humility and gentleness, a surrendering, a giving up of your life to others and what God's going to do through you and others' lives. It's a pouring out. You can see it so clearly. In fact, he goes on, the rest of chapter 4 starts talking about the body of Christ, and people have different gifts. And God's given that to the body to train you all, to teach you all how to live in Christ with your strengths, your weaknesses. It's, it's a beautiful letter. In fact, one of my favorite passages in here is in Ephesians 4. I've used it so many times. It was taught to me by a Christian psychologist. It's, it's this one. Look at verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. Do not... Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. I've used that before because the psychologist said, you know, he says in the psychological world, pretty much proved that if a person goes to bed angry enough, it affects your psyche. It changes your outlook. It changes your behavior. So Paul right away goes, oh, whoa, your lifestyle needs to change. If you have a grudge, you need to get past that. Anger's not wrong. I mean, even God gets angry. But when you're angry, don't, don't let it turn into sin, he's saying. No, you've got to deal with that. Or the devil, one translation says, the devil gets a foothold in your life. And this psychologist said, I think that's what a lot of psychological problems are. It's the devil's foothold. He's trying to destroy you. We're holding a grudge against your parents, your spouse, your ex-spouse, a kid, a relative, a friend, a guy at work. That he's saying, deal with it. Well, well, how do we do this? By the end of the chapter, he says this. Listen, read the last two verses. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. <laughs> Pretty much covers all the negativity there. He says, instead, be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Love this passage. Can't wait to get to it to preach even further and deeper on it. He's saying, instead of being angry, be kind, tender-hearted, and forgiving. Tender-hearted means try and see their point of view. And then you, 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 the natural question would be, well, how in the world am I supposed to do that? They're wrong. They hurt me. Look what they did. Often in our anger, we're justifying ourselves, right? Like, I would never do that, but look what they did, right? And he's saying, how do you do it? Just as God in Christ forgave you. How did God forgive you? Did you deserve it? No. Did you make things right? No. You couldn't make it right. You sinned. But God let Jesus pay the price for you. He's saying in the same way, you can forgive other people by saying, well, I'll let God deal with that. I'll, I'll leave that to God. Like, like, I didn't deserve to be forgiven. They don't deserve to be forgiven. Fine, I'm forgiven them anyhow because God cut me a break. I can cut them a break. We'll go further and deeper when we get into that. But isn't that beautiful? You talk about a, a lifestyle changing, walking in a manner worthy. It's a change. This, 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 this stuff in chapter 4 and 5 and 6 is so powerful. It gets into chapter 5. 
And he gets to verse 18. Look at verse 18 with me. He sums it up by says, Do not get drunk with wine. We're going to get into this verse too powerfully. He compares drunkenness with being filled with the Spirit. For that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit. He's saying you can either self-medicate or try and deal with things in your own little world, in your own little way, or you can be poured out and be filled with Christ. D.L. Moody said, the reason many people aren't filled with Christ, aren't filled with the Holy Spirit, is because they won't pour. They won't empty. You can't empty yourself out. You can't be filled with God. They won't do the pouring. They won't trust God with their whole life. That might be your situation. That might be why you feel so trapped. That might be why you feel so helpless. Because you're trying to do it. And there's got to be a giving up to say, well, Lord... I'm going to pour myself into Christ. I'm going to trust God to do this. I'm going to believe in God's work in my life. I want to be filled with your spirit now, not with me. Then he goes on. Let me me finish up. Chapter 6. He says this in chapter 6. Let's see. Let's pick it up in verse 18, verse 10. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Then he goes on and talks about the famous thing about the armor of God. But what's so cool there is he says, you need to be strong in the Lord. You know, we read these things about being filled with the Spirit or dealing with your anger. And I don't know about you, but I look at those guys. I can't because that's the point. I can help you do things you can't do. Be strong in the Lord. I'm too weak. I can't, I can't do it. How many times have I had people in the council go, I just can't live like this anymore. I just can't do this. No. Well, I almost feel like saying, well, good. You're getting it. You can't. I'm glad you finally get it. You can't. Because now you know he can. When he says, be strong in the Lord, folks, you understand that's what he's saying? It's a whole other way of living. And he finally ends by saying this, be in prayer. Look what he says here. Verse, what are we at? 18. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end. Be keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication, which is another word for prayer, for all the saints. I remember as a young believer reading through this book the first time and thinking, oh my gosh, how am I going to do this? I just can't do it. Because remember, I was reading it very soberly, very honestly. And it just seemed like, wow, this is such a high bar. I could never do it. And I was starting to comprehend what I just said to you. Good. Because you really, really can't do it. You're going to have to pour it into into Christ. It's your only hope. I realized I desperately needed it. And what encouraged me was this, and I hope it encourages you too, to look at people and to get to know people that are actually doing it. I had a friend named Rob Fisher and his brother Mark. I had a friend named Rob Johnson. I had an older brother. I had a a pastor named Ken. All these guys I saw, God, you know, they're, they're changed. They're not like normal people. No. No, they, 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 they've been poured out. They've been poured into Christ. They made decision after decision after... Now, listen to me. I don't know what decision God's shaking you up at right now, but he's trying to tell you the same thing he tells all of us all the time. Will, will you give yourself to Christ? Will you let God do it? Will you believe him? Will you pray with him? Pray to him. Will you trust him? And I saw people doing that, and I go, oh, I, I want what Rob's got. I want what my friend Doug has. And that's caused 
meet again. That's one of the reasons we need church so bad. We rub up against shoulders of other people trying to do it too. You're never meant to do this alone. You need some other people in your life helping you see it. And you can see them doing it. And they're trusting God for things. And you're trusting God for things. And together we move forward to becoming more like we're supposed to be in Christ. Okay, I'm out of time. Let me challenge you with two things. Number one challenge. If what I said is true... Anything is true. Ephesians chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6 is for you, and you're supposed to help you develop into Christ. Then here's what I'm challenging you to do I'm challenging you to take a, an experiment with me for the next 90 days May, June, and July. That's how long it's going to take us to get through these three to six chapters. Would for the next 90 days you say, Marty, I'll tell you what, I'll do it. And I'm, Marty's saying, I want you to read your Bible every day in the book of Ephesians. Even if it's just a couple verses, you're trying to change yourself. You're not trying to accomplish any big goal. I'm going to read the whole book five times or not. No, I'm just going to take a couple verses. I'm going to learn this stuff. I mean, I'm going to get it in my brain. I'm going to get it down into my soul and out into my, through my heart, into my life. My lifestyle is going to change. Psychologists tell us you do anything for 40 days, it starts to become a habit. Oh my goodness. Do you maybe need to change some habits? All you got to do. I started experiencing this. I kid you not, folks. When I was 19, I realized I started doing this and my life started changing. I'm hanging around with my friend Rob Fisher and my friend Doug Dudgeon. I'm realizing, my gosh, I've changed. 90 days is all it took. How many of you tried diets for 90 days? Well, why wouldn't you try a spiritual diet and say, I'm going to do this? That's why I got the Bibles out there. Go buy a good Bible. In fact, I talked to a guy last night. Show, this morning I saw him and said, Hey, look, I got a new Bible. I said, Good, good man. 90 days. Do it. See what'll happen. Whatever you spend for a good study Bible is money extremely, extremely well spent. Especially if it changes your life, right? And I'm telling you, just one little book will do it. Imagine what the whole Bible would do. One little book, Ephesians. Try it. So that's my first challenge. Second challenge, if he wrote this to churches, and churches made to develop you, and I don't think he could go to a much better church than this one to develop you. There's tons of opportunities. 90 days, every weekend, you're going to come to church. You're going to even ask the Lord, should I get in a small group? Should I do something? Should I serve? Should I be a greeter, an usher? Should I be involved in the worship? Just, just say, Lord, I'll do it. Whatever you want. It's part of the pouring. Give, no, it's not my life anymore. I'm giving it. I'm in Christ. And I'm telling you, quit being so afraid to give your whole life to Christ. I, 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 the Apostle Paul, who went through so many different things and has had so much accomplishments, here we are reading the, the words that he wrote, is trying to scream to us, please stop being so afraid. Please stop trying to keep your life. Give it up. Give it to the Lord. Watch what he can do. The strength, the power, the joy, the peace, it's all listed here in Ephesians. God can do that in your life. So two challenges, right? Read Ephesians every morning. I don't care if it's five minutes or an hour and a half. And maybe one morning it'll be an hour and a half. Another morning it'll be five minutes. So what? You're trying to put it in your heart and mind and watch God use it. God's Spirit and God's Word changes people. Secondly, I'm going to go to church. 
I'm going to be with the body of Christ and let it have its work in me. Get the friendships, the relationships, and the development that God wants. He wrote it to churches because God works through church to develop people. He wants to do the same through you. What I'd like to do is have you stand with me right now and pray. Let's ask God for help. If you're ready to take on the little experiment for 90 days, I said, just say it in your heart, Lord, I'm ready. Sign me up. I'm going to get a Bible or keep the Bible I've got and use that, but I'm going to read it every day for 90 days. And I'm going to learn. I'm going to study. I'm going to get answers to questions. The things that block me, the things that are holding me back, Lord, things that are limiting me, constraining me, keep making me afraid and making me feel trapped. I want to be busted loose. Say, Lord, I'm going to do it. 90 days, I'm going to watch you change my life. And at the end of 90, you, you watch what God's done. Nine, just 90 days, watch what he'll do. And then secondly, Lord, I'm going to come to church. I'm going to get regular about this. I'm going to do this every weekend for 90 days and watch what you do in me. Oh, Father... I can't help but think how, how eager you are and the Holy Spirit is to change our lives if we would just stop holding back. And so help us today as we come before you. And if you, in your heart you're saying you're in, just say, oh Lord, I'm in. I'm ready. I'm not going to make you come forward. I'm not going to make you raise your hand. This is between you and the Lord. Say, Lord, I, I, I want to see this measurable change in 90 days. I'm going to trust you in the book of Ephesians as I bury myself in it and let my pour myself out to you. May you pour yourself into me. And so I'm committing, Lord, to read the word and to come to church and to watch you work in my life. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray this prayer. If you're with me, just say amen in your heart. Amen. Amen. God bless. See you next week.